I was part of um, a group called Tech, the Executive Connection, for a decade, which is a bunch of CEOs sitting around discussing the challenges every month they face and helping each other to almost like a mental support group to help each other, you know, improve. And through that, I soon learned was it's a privilege. We have a privileged role to be leaders. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations. And with me, I have got Nigel O'Neill, who is the CEO of Barry Plant. Hey, Nigel, how are you? Hey, very well, and hello, everyone. Yes, it's been a while since I've seen you, and it, usually um, when we catch up, um, we have a drink in our hands. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about us, but anyway. Pre-COVID days, of course. Yeah, exactly, the good old days, the good, the good old, old days. days. <laughs> So um, can you give everybody just a little bit of a background about your, I mean, you're CEO at Barry Plant now, but what were the roles that kind of led you to yeah. this one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So I grew up on a farm and so I had a strong work ethic from a young age. Um, and so I suppose, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, wait to escape the world of working long hours during, uh, during harvest. So it came to Melbourne when I was 17, went to uni, did a commerce degree and went into the world of uh, charter accounting to help fix businesses predominantly. So did that for, for about six or seven years and that was a fantastic, a fantastic um, foundation, if you like, to try yeah. and understand what made, business, what made businesses tick and uh, try and help them, Leanne. So from there, progressed into the world of, uh, of banking where I, I, was a good, I was a turnaround expert, so give me something that wasn't working very well and I'll try and fix it. And, and uh, so that's what that that's um, what gets you excited? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I, I didn't fit the mould of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a, being a chartered accountant by a long way. In fact, it, the direct opposite. And then moving into the world of fixing stuff. I loved, I loved improving businesses. I loved improving people. And that sort of drove me towards, you know, a, a few well, I had some success in in those sort of uh, those sort of roles and yep. large teams, and then yeah, had the opportunity to uh, to do the same sort of uh, to try try my hand in real estate as you know, leading uh, at the time was Hocking Stewart, and yep. yeah, it was a uh, it was a, a big eye opener. And you know, I remember the first the first uh, nine months, I think there was bets going on how long I would last in the in the role to be, to be great. So I was like, how long? That, you went into that role. Um, at, were you CEO at? Um, yeah, great, so great yeah, so Greg and Andrew sold the business in 2007 yeah. um, to a bunch of the largest uh, franchisees, which you, you'll be familiar with in, a, you know, in terms of what happened the last 18 months with yourself. And so, so yeah, a lot of, lot of shareholders to, uh, to deal with who are all had different views on where to take the business and they sort of got me involved to, uh, to drive it from a, a, a network perspective and see how we went. And you had no real estate experience prior to that? Zero real estate experience. Talk so, to, was, um, talk to me about had, what that was like. Yeah, look, I had a lot of experience in stakeholder and in stakeholder management. So I'd managed, you know, I'd been in roles with. One of the roles I'd had was um, working in the um, 
in the uh, the world of member-based services for uh, the, the National Auto Club. So I had uh, the CEOs of all the National Auto Clubs, RACV, NRMA, on my board, and then I dealt with the general managers for tourism for all the different statewide auto clubs. So day-to-day with the GMs for tourism in all different states, and then on my board, all the CEOs. You can imagine trying to align the interests yeah of seven different states and territories from top to bottom. It was, uh, that I'm was on the a, board of the uh, Real Estate Institute of Australia, so I know exactly what that's like. You, you have a fair idea, Leanne. So, so yeah, for me, that was, um, I, I, I had some challenging roles with stakeholder management and across a broad range of industries. So real estate was just another industry, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and then, yeah, no, it was uh, the, 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 the passion, the emotion, the, the, uh, the, the personalities in real estate really caught me a little bit by surprise to be frank yeah it's um I, i've never really thought about why it's an issue but i've had a com- the conversations with many people about how challenging it is to come in at a leadership level in real estate without having that real estate experience i've got plenty of friends that have um coming like a girlfriend of mine is now the ceo of the biggest publisher in the country she's got no publishing experience um, and she's like, oh, I've got people around me with that publishing experience. You would have had people around you with the real estate experience as well, but it still was a challenge, right? Yeah, but, uh, yeah so much of a challenge in the first nine months I got shingled. So I was like, yeah, hang on, what's going on? Yeah, I got shingles. Uh, so I, was, you know, I hadn't experienced this type of emotion before. And so it took me a good you know, nine, 12 months to get my head around you know, these, uh, these personal outbursts of emotion were were just part of what their world was at, at the time. And, and then I get my head around that. And then, you know, what is it that's, how can I add value to this industry? What can I, what, what is it I bring to the table as a, yeah. as a point of difference? And, you know, much like, uh, much like you know, individuals, agents, businesses, I had to do the same thing at the time. I was just, you know, you know turning 40. And so I'd spent, you know, a, a good part of 20 years in a variety of industries and then bringing that expertise into into what was a co- what was at the time a cottage industry and probably to a degree yeah, still is yeah. um, a cottage industry. So bringing the best of the the different aspects of the world into real estate, what can I do differently? So that's 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 when I had a, a turning point. And you know, and yeah, yeah. To, to me, it's business is is business, but in real estate, it's business personal, business personal. It's interconnected. Yeah, I've never really thought about it that way, but you're um you're right. And that whole change piece. Right. There's a lot. Uh, it's interesting. It, it's kind of we've got two two lots of different sort of types of business owners in real estate now. The ones that have always done it this way, and I'm making enough money, Leanne. I don't need to change it. It's all right. But then we've got the others who are more entrepreneurial, and they're the ones who are growing more interesting businesses. Right. They're they're doing they're adding more value than just listing and selling and leasing property. So how do you go about trying to Bring that change and getting people on board for change. To me, that's the most challenging component. Yeah. Um, but first of all, you've got to have credibility. So, so how do you establish credibility with a bunch of uh, you know fifty officers, thirty officers, hundred directors that see you as being someone who's never been involved in real estate? And yeah, it's funny actually. They all think that selling real estate is a really important part of your credibility. And I mean, whilst I did sell real estate, it was like thirty odd years ago, right? Um, but it really has nothing to do with what the value you can bring to all of these business owners. And to me, it's simple. And and actually, the connection came when I, I just started to measure. Because the way I run a business is quite simple. I find what's important, measure it, and then try and find ways 
to make sure the dials, the, the measurements can be dialed up. So, and in real estate, if you think about that, that's quite, if you, from a business owner's perspective, then it's okay. You know, I've got a sales business and a, and a rental business and a team. And really, how do I measure the performance of my sales business? Yeah. You know? And, and I look at measurements in terms of what's already happened is, you know, in the rear vision mirror, you know, yeah, you've done X amount of sales and, yeah, it's great. What's your pipeline like? But, you know, what are the lead indicators of success going forward? The same as a rental business and the same and with so your So let team. me just stop you there for one second. Yeah. Um, firstly, how did you decide what success looked like? Was that your version of success? Did you talk to your franchise owners? How did you do that? Yeah, engagement. So basically went and talked to everyone So at, at every level. So I talked to the owners, talked to the shareholders who are all owners anyway, uh, and talked at, at, down, with, talked a lot, you know, in teams, engagement conversations, and tried to work out, you know, what it was that was so unique about real estate. And at the end of the day, it is unique, but it's not unique. Yeah. Um, every every business had, has the similar attributes um, and it all comes down to people and process. And so really it's what who the, what, what are the people in your business, what's the caliber of the people in your business and how engaged are they and what are the processes you have in your business and are they successful, those processes, or are they weak or are they poor? So it's, for me, so the customer journey is a process. So if, if you're looking at prospecting a vendor and you've got a database of vendors, potential vendors, and then so your prospecting journey is the start of that to getting into the appraisal, to the listing presentation, to then listing and all that into your customer service during that process and then follow up afterwards and recommendations and away you go again. So that's just one big process. Right. So what's the, what's the process in your business? And, of course, the best people to ask what should be the ideal process for that in terms of the customer journey is the customer. And so yeah, getting the customer feedback constantly around did they enjoy the service you gave them from go to woe or did they uh, did they think it could be improved? And, uh, and so, so it's not complicated, but it is complicated because that's – that it, that's the, the, the challenge is in making it so simple that uh, people can start to adapt and change. Yeah, and, and understanding that they need to change because I know um, you would be exactly the same in a head office um, environment. The complaints come to head office. They mightn't necessarily go to you and me, but they come to head office so you hear about them and then you go and you speak to the team about what those um, um, issues were and it's like, oh, yeah, but he was an idiot. Or, yeah, but she was, you know, it's like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, and that's that's normal. I mean, it's normal right. for people to, to me, it's the, the denial, the, the, the typical process for when you're giving feedback from customers or directly around, you know, uh, a, a, an improvement or a possible area for improvement. It's always a denial, anger, then it virtually get to acceptance and then you can start to help. And so it's, you know, I try and work with the, with the directors that, are able to move through those processes quicker, through those through that process quicker. So get through the okay. Your, your intention is to help. So if your intention is to help, I'm listening. Um, and that's the key is is, is communicating early the, the your what your intention is. It's not to be critical. It's actually giving you the feedback you need to improve your business and it's and and, and even with your agent. So. Uh, I found it surprising coming into a service-based industry that we didn't measure service. <laughs> I, found, I found that a surprise. We're a service-based industry, and yet 
And even to this day, there's businesses that don't measure the service we give to our customers. And I, I just find that. Oh, you're so right. You are absolutely 100% right. Um, yep, I'm going to share that with um, I'm going to share that with my own business owner. So thanks for that, Nigel. I always get a few um, uh, a few nuggets of gold whenever I speak to you. <laughs> Well, and look, it's, and that's down to an agent level. So if I, if I was, you know, if I was running a real estate business, I would like to know how good each agent, because you have your overriding level of service being provided by the whole office, and then you'll have different levels of service being provided by your agent. So how can you make sure that you're you're across that level of, you know, because that 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 uh, illuminates training needs for the yeah. for those agents to improve, which they mightn't be aware of. So do you have, I assume you have Rate My Agent in, um, in Melbourne, like we do here in Sydney. Um, I heard only um, last week from somebody who one of their local competitors enjoys the status of being the number one, you know, in the entire known universe of, um, um, of Rate My Agent being number one. But what they do is they get their clients to only to, to guarantee that they will give them a five-star review. And if it's not going to be five-star, they are pre- prevented from giving a review. Yeah. And it's like not really the point of reviews, right? The point, as you rightly said, that highlights where the training opportunities are. Correct. I mean, but obviously we're, we're all running... Uh, part of what we do is marketing, and so obviously, you know, yeah. being having having uh, having uh, recommendations from previous customers around your business, and in the old days, it was testimonials. And it's moved into the digital world; it's fine. But in terms of you know feedback mechanisms that may not may or may not be public, it's it's making sure that the feedback mechanisms back to agents and back to directors around yeah. where can I get better. Uh, are there and, and I think as you know part of our our job in my my view is to make sure that that's adding value to our officers if we can do that properly um, is make sure that their their blind spots if you like a little bit uh, are identified and that's that's separate to me to you know the uh, the world now of digital testimonials and you know yeah how do you how do you find that's 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 yes we must do that and capture that and be a part of that but also that's from a marketing perspective but then there's also this business to business perspective if you like yeah yeah that's a really important um distinction to make right yeah we all we want the five star reviews for a marketing for marketing but we need the negative reviews if we actually want to improve our processes and genuinely provide um a better service and they can be in different spots Leanne so they can, they can yes, exactly. We don't need to share the negative. Um, it's not about sharing the negative um, far and wide. It's about using it as a genuine training opportunity. Correct. And that can come from a variety of sources. So, yeah, so that's um, for me, it's uh, um, find, what's, find what's important within real estate across all aspects. I mean, obviously, the world of, and I didn't, before I came into, you know, into, into into the industry, I didn't realise there was such a gap or chasm between sales and, and property management. Property management, yeah. <laughs> And I'd been exposed to it. I bought and sold before, and I'd been exposed to it. You know, asking what why can't the person that has been managing my home sell my home for me? So I've been exposed to oh no, that person is you know, the right person to speak to. So I've been introduced to someone I didn't know to sell my home, and 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 it was a completely different experience to what I expected it to be before I got into the industry. But then to see the the uh, the void between the two, and you know, the, and, and most of the sales, obviously most of the directors have uh, ex-sales agents that are directors so their attention is towards the sales side of the business and yet the wealth creation is in the PM side and obviously 
dovetails back into your sales performance. So I never understood really initially why there wasn't such a strong focus on the growth from the PM business, considering the benefits from a wealth creation point of view and the benefits to the sales side where, you know, the cash flow is great, but it can uh, it can dry out pretty quick unless you've got a strong PM business to give you that continued underlying cash flow. Yeah, and I've seen businesses where the um, the owners, uh, directors don't believe in um, incentivising the property managers to refer sales. So the property managers actually refer sales out to other people who will give them a, you know. Yep. Whatever. And it's like, oh, man. And that comes back to culture, Leanne, doesn't it? I mean, it totally. how, can, how can you build within the team the right culture so that doesn't happen? So yeah. how do you, and that's a combination of incentivization and you know, team, team, team camaraderie and communication, yeah. which is sometimes lost. And look, I'm still, you know, I, I, I can't accept that uh, some listing directors actually compete against their agents that they're, uh, really? that, are, that they're employing. And to me, I can't see a world where that's correct, where a listing agent will compete against their own agents. And I've come across it you know, on numerous occasions and I still try and get my head around it because if I'm, if I'm leading a team of commission agents, then I should be helping them become more successful because that's part of my role as a leader as well as, I'm, you know, to, yeah. to leverage off my, my contacts to, uh, to, to heighten my profit with a bit, bit of uh, my own listings, but not, not at the expense of them as the key. But don't you find um, leadership is one of the real issues in the industry? Because as you um, already said, the majority of um, business owners were the best salesperson um, and they uh, then decide that they want to actually own a business and then they have to attract other people. So they have to keep on selling, right? So that the brand's out there, the name's out there and they attract people to them. But some of them um, either don't want to step away from the ego and the dollars or don't really have confidence in their own ability to lead and help grow other people. How do you, how do you kind of deal with that? It's one of the biggest challenges we face as an industry, I think, yep. is, is improving the level of leadership across our, across our, you know, the broader networks that exist around Australia. Because unless we do, then we need to become an attraction industry, you know, especially with, the, you know, the labour market's tightening all the time. We've yeah. already seen it. Yeah. You know what's been happening at the last since the uh, on, onset of the pandemic. The ability to attract and retain staff has become increasingly important, and and as, and start started the industry with that, and then you, you work down into your different businesses below it. But I mean, as an industry, we probably haven't got the best reputation, but to be as uh, to be the uh, the the career of choice. Uh, and I, and I still find it amazing that really probably in schools kids don't see real estate as being an option for them. So how do we, you know, how do we, you know, so there's a lot of work to do as to, as to creating real estate as, a, as an option for school leavers um, yeah. or university leavers or whatever else so that they can see a pathway to take, to, to, to take career as a, or take, make a career in real estate rather than fall into it like it seems to be a lot of people do. Yeah, there are yeah. stories of people leaving and, and have always wanted to be a real estate agent, but, you know, most of the stories I hear are people, have, you know, we're in different, different industries, hospitality, sport, and they've sort of come into real estate at, at, a, at, a, at a different time and then have seen the, uh, have, have made a crack at it as being their, their career of choice. Yeah. Any ideas on how we do that? Yeah, look, it's it's. If I had that magic wand, I would have waved it. Um, yeah. I, I think we've got to raise the bar. Uh, I think raise the bar on on our leadership and our across our across our industry as a starting point. So having more 
leadership discussions, and I think that's yeah. starting. I'm, I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing, yeah. yeah, I'm seeing that's starting. It's probably better late than never, would be my my view. And and, and so, uh, and it falls on, it falls on us as leaders across the industry to do that, as spend time, money, efforts in making sure that within within our networks that we are providing that ability for our leaders to either, you know, there's always three sets of, you know, I've got three things, there's three and five in my world, so I'm a very process-driven person. So, you know, there's, there's the ones that are that will adapt quickly and learn and grow and understand the importance of, of what we're talking about. And there'll be the middle tier, which will be sit on the fence and they'll, they might swing either way depending on how the first group go. Yeah. And then you have your third group are probably they have no interest in changing. They'll probably retire before they... Um, yeah, yeah that's, they and, and, that's, and I, I get that. It's probably too late. It's yeah. past that point of... of uh, and they're probably looking more at, you know, exiting the industry rather than staying in it. So for me, it's 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 understanding that. So you don't have to force everyone down the same path. It's understanding where they are on their journey and, and making sure that, you know, you can help them whether they're A, B or C in their journey, what help do you need? And C is more around succession planning and exit right. and helping their future their future leaders get on the right page versus A and B. Yeah, we've certainly, um, we've certainly put leadership programs in place for every, like, business owners right through to team leaders and heads of and all of that sort of stuff. So that's been something we've worked out really hard in the last 12 months, but there's no... Um, there's no easy answer to it. And we can do that individually with our networks. But I think from a from an industry point of view, yeah. what do we need to do from an industry point of view to actually get real estate on the radar for schools? Um, yeah. And that's, that's you know, I'd love to make that statement and put it out there and then let's have a discussion around workshop, what things we could do. Yeah. Um, to start to put it on the radar because I think that's going to be the greatest challenge for us going forward is, you know, how are we going to, yes, it's you know, great that we're all, you know, we're, uh, we're looking, you know, we're lifting the bar and think about lifting the bar on in Victoria, the, the bar to become an agent's reps is lifted and, you know, the, the, uh, yeah, the challenges around becoming, being a property manager in terms of legislation is lifted and you've got all these barriers to entry increasing, increasing yeah. and yet the pool of resources shrinking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a real, there's a real uh, challenge there for us um, that, that, that impacts yeah. all of us. And you're right, we do, um, we all do our own thing, right, um, across the, across the net, networks um, and we probably need to, to be better at collaborating um, and um, and working out a solution that works for the industry as a whole. You know what? I will make a note of that, and I will take that up. Um, at, at oh, you can. You, you, being the being the uh, being uh, the uh, president of the New South Wales. Uh, uh, not anymore, but I'm definitely. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got, I know the right people to talk to. Um, uh, I should. don't know that I've got the answers, but I know the right people to talk to. You talk about servant leadership. Can you just explain um, to everybody what that means and what that actually looks like in your business? I'll just go back a step there, I suppose. I used to be a terrible leader, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm a great leader now. I aspire to be a great leader, but I was a terrible leader. Um, yeah. I used Why? to make people... Because uh, the people I thought in the early days, you know, I went into a business that had, just to give you a feel, had 16... My first gig was 16 staff members and within the great recession we had to have in the late 80s meant we went from 16 to 130 staff in the space of about 12 months and I, because I was in that first 16 I actually was a manager at a very young age and leading teams of people across different businesses at a very young age so and and the people that I reported to the partners that 
that I, that I was accountable to. And I was working six till, you know, 10 for nine months. Nine month period of work from six or seven in the morning till I, I had a standard seven o'clock meeting every morning for for nine months with my with my uh, with my partner and then and then we finished about ten o'clock at night and that was my standard day for nine months because that's the world we live in right yeah at that at that point and to get across everything had to be that way so I was expecting the team to work as hard as I was so if I was working that hard I'd demand that from you know the team of people that were that, that were and I was only 23 24 so you're talking 21 22 year olds and this is what I expect from them so um I was a very average leader so I, I had grown men cry and all sorts of stuff you know because I had no idea around really because I was being demanded upon I was just following through you had no experience you had limited experience at work let alone as a leader at work right oh or, or with leaders that were good or bad yeah, you know, as a, and, a, and a cap, I've been captain of different sporting clubs and stuff, but that's you know leading from from doing, you know, that's leading from being being good at what you're doing as a as a sportsman. But in terms of the emotional intelligence side of leadership, I had no exposure at a young age, and so if I was fortunate within ANZ, um, I was fortunate to get on a program by the uh, then CEO John McFarlane um, around perform grow breakout was called and perform grow breakout was all about unmasking yourself in in, in being a leader so because you know you know part of the role I'd had was unfortunately closing businesses down and and making a lot of people sacking a lot of people to be frank just talking bluntly and in some roles and some you can turn them around but some you couldn't you just shut them down and and well, one year, one Christmas Eve, I just shut down a business of about thirty people, and you know, so to be to be emotionally attached to that was something you, you couldn't afford to do because unfortunately you'd you take it home and you'd you'd, uh, you'd be a uh, it wouldn't be very healthy from a, from from a um, a work balance point of view. So I'd learnt to compartmentalise work from home, if you like. But um, in doing so, you become I became a bit inhuman, if you. So I had to unmask myself and become genuine as to what sort of person I was as a leader, yeah. but also still um, bring all the other attributes of, you know, accountability and everything else, but bringing myself to work. And so servant leadership, that's it. So that's the background of it. And I was part of um, a group called Tech, the Executive Connection, for a decade, which is a bunch of CEOs sitting around discussing the challenges every month they face and helping each other to almost like a mental support group to help each other, you know, improve. And through that, I soon learned was it's a privilege. We have a privileged role to be leaders. So it's an absolute, we, we, it's not a, it's not something around power and anything else. It's about being privileged. So it's to me being a servant to the team, I'm here to develop the business. I'm here to help them develop as people. And so, you know, if something, you know, simple mantra, but something goes wrong, it's on me. If something goes well, it's them, you know. And having those simple philosophies around, you know, taking ownership of stuff that goes wrong and, and making sure you own that and, and that's you, that's part of being servant leadership is serving the team. For the, and that's not always, it's not always easy to do. Um, it's not always easy, but, you know, I, I have what I call the, uh, the window mirror. So when something goes something goes bad look in the mirror and and say yeah how could i have changed that outcome so how could i look at that differently so look in the mirror if something goes wrong if something goes really well look out the window and thank three people who contributed towards that success so those simple philosophies to me uh, are all uh, what i try to be as a leader in terms of that servant leadership yeah nice we have a lot of conversations about below and above the line conversations um so you know below the line being you know blame denial excuses 
and above yes. the line being, you know, taking ownership and accountability and, um, and responsibility. Um, so, yeah, they're really, it's imp they're important conversations to have, important conversations. And, and it's important to know, I can't help victims. But if a person's a victim, I can't help them because they're not taking ownership of, of stuff I could help them with. Yeah. And, and, and you would see as well, you have high-performing businesses are always, you know, high-performing officers are always looking to grow faster, quicker, and they're, ask, they're asking good questions around challenging the status quo. Then you have low-performing businesses who are pointing the finger elsewhere. Yeah, you, that's right. Them, yeah, and then, like, and I, I, love, I, I can't find good staff, okay? Help me to understand why a good, a good staff member would come and work for you. What is it that they're going to get from you that they're not going to get from somebody else? Um, and that's a really, um, that's a, it's quite a profound question if you're prepared to be honest about it. And, and a lot of them want help with recruitment and say, well, at the end of the day, they're going to join you. And so you need to be actively involved in that recruitment uh, as well as, you know, but there's no point recruiting if they're recruiting into a culture which they're going to leave anyway. Yeah. So you've got to fix the culture within your office yes. first. So are you getting feedback on how your are, are your staff recommending you? Yeah. If, you, if your yeah. staff aren't raving fans today, why in the hell would you want to go and recruit more people to come into a toxic culture <laughs> only to see them leave? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No. Fix your culture, make sure it's right. If it's not right, fix it. And then work on what you say, the value proposition, and, you know, what's your, what's your uh, point of difference for someone to come and join you, whether it's in sales, property management, or in admin. Whatever, um, yeah. You know, whatever. The, what is the proposition? Because retaining talent is going to be the challenge. So what are you doing about it? Massively in, uh, you know, we've got pretty much full employment right now in Australia. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for the foreseeable future. Well, 4% doesn't get, that, that is full employment. And, yeah. yeah, I don't think, even though we've opened the doors to immigration, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a, a while before it starts to take, take hold. So, you know, we, this challenge is going to be around for a little while yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been so lovely to speak to you. It's um. Time's flowing. I've got two questions to finish up. Firstly, um, one of the questions that I ask people at our, um, our Lang and Simmons induction day is to tell me something that you're proud of, not something that your team has achieved or your family has achieved. It's not about your kids. It's about you, something that you've done that you were really proud of. It's amazing how hard some people find it. It's easy. It's, it's, I'm most proud of being uh, you know, my most important role being a good dad yeah so yeah. for me I've got three kids and three teenagers and to me you know whilst I enjoy all the other roles I play in my my world the most important by far is is, is being a dad that raises three kids in a way where they become good people and yeah, so sure. I'm, I'm I'm really proud of you know Touch wood so far, that's that's worked out pretty well in terms of those those three kids are happy, healthy and uh and making their own way in the world in, in their own in their own way. And yeah. I think, you know, if if they if you if you ask them individually, you know, am, am I am I a dad that challenges them, that makes them that makes them think about so I, you know, I, I love developing people, including kids. So yeah, for me right. it's for them to be the, the, the best version of themselves is important. So that, that's what I'm most proud of, Leanne, to be, you know, I couldn't, and I'd love to say it's something else, you know, you know done outside of in, in business. I've, I've been very proud of some of the things I've done, but it's mainly, you know, in, in terms of people coming back to work with me. And that's always the best indication of whether you're a good leader. It's, do, they, do they try and come and work with back. you again and again and again? And if they do, 
you, you're probably doing something right. Um, and if you don't, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for me, that's, that's, I, I, there's a few journeys of, I'd like to think of, of people who I started with 20, 30 years ago, come across and, and they've transcended industries and followed me. And, and that's, awesome. uh, that's, yeah, no, that's a great indication. Uh, if people are, are willing to come back to you, particularly if it's outside of, um, you know, different industries. So, yeah, beautiful. Um, and what would surprise us about you? Oh, what surprise. Um, um, I played footy until last year, would probably surprise. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I uh, at the age of um, my mid-40s, I decided to run again uh, after not running for about a decade. So I, I, I challenged myself to do a marathon at 46, did the marathon, and then I wanted to use that uh, fitness into something I really loved because last whilst I did the run, I didn't really enjoy it. I just It was, it was more yeah. just... Uh, tick off that box of a challenge that I wanted to do mentally. Um, but then I played footy, so I went back and played footy at the age of 46. So uh, footy playing... for you is um, AFL, I assume, being Victorian? Yes, yeah, sorry, yes, yes. Aussie rules. Yep. Aussie rules. So, yes, yeah, so I played Aussie rules over 35s at the age of 46 and then, yeah, I played over 45s until uh, last year when I, you know, my, the kids' sport was getting too active on the weekend, so I've had to... Uh, oh, yeah, up. that's why you had to give up. The kids' sport <laughs> was getting too active. Yeah, good on you, Nigel. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so that surprised a few people that, uh, that uh, I still play AFL until last year. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Well done, you. No, I wouldn't say well done. Probably stupid me, to be honest. <laughs> well, you survived it. That's the main thing. I survived it and loved every minute of it, to be fair. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been so lovely to catch up and hopefully I'll see you in person very soon. Thanks, Leanne. Cheers, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.